I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city closely compacted together. There, that is where the tribes of the Lord go up to praise his name of the Lord. According to the statute given to Israel, there stand the thrones for, of, for judgment. Pray for peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May the peace within your walls and the security with your candles. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I see I will seek your prosperity. God promised a weary people that God would do a new thing with an old covenant. God would send a servant to rewrite the covenant and recreate, recreate in a new way. Here a reading from Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quince. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who giveth breath to the people upon it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, from the prisons those who sin in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory. I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God, we come to you as a people who are busy in our hearts, busy in our minds, busy in our souls. We are weighed down by so many concerns that we bring with us into this space. And so we open up our hands and we let go of them and we give them to you. We ask that you fill us up that you take that now empty space and bring light into it so that we may be light to the world. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. Be seated. Though I fear we all tell you to sit down and stop talking so I can talk. <laughs> so today we heard a passage that we hear every Advent, almost every Advent in some form or another. It's one of the four servant songs that are in Isaiah. So there are four of them that sound pretty similar in tone. Now we've talked before about how there's not one Isaiah, there's three Isaiahs. And so we find ourselves today in the second one of the three. And this is important because first Isaiah is pre-exile, pre-Babylon conquer. We heard that a couple weeks ago when we read from Isaiah 9 about the way that God would protect them when something had come. 
Today we are in what's called Deutero-Isaiah, which is the second of the Isaiah prophets. And this time exile has come. Babylon has taken them away from their land. They are a people who are living in darkness. And everything that we read in the Bible from this period, from this time period, the Psalms, Isaiah, the prophets, all of them are talking about waiting for the day of the Lord to come. You know, this darkness is not going to last forever. God's going to come. Isaiah tells us it comes in the form of a servant. This particular one, Isaiah, is called the suffering servant. We hear it at Easter when we talk about the servant whose legs will be broken by the reed. And we have always, I have always heard or thought about this person, this servant, as a singular person, because as Christians, we read back into the Old Testament the story of Jesus. But for Isaiah, when he wrote it, servant was not a singular verb. This is why they make pastors take Hebrew in seminary as much as we hate it, because sometimes it does matter whether it's a singular verb or a plural verb. And so we should read this poem a little bit differently. It should be read as servants. There will be servants of God who are coming to spread the light of the world. The people of Israel have gone through a trauma together. They have gone through an event together that changed their lives, changed the world forever, and all of them, every single one of them went through it, whether they stayed in Israel or not. Every single one of them stood in Jerusalem and saw the Babylonian army coming. Every single one of them stood in Jerusalem and waited through the starvation tactics that armies used to siege towns. Every single one of them lived in actual darkness when candles ran out. This is a trauma. It's a trauma that defines their collective identity for the rest of time. You will still to this day hear people in Jerusalem talking about the exile and how it changed everything about them. And now the servants of God are actually suffering. It's no longer future. It's no longer something that happens at another time. They are suffering. And they want to know is a light coming? Is there an end to this? Are we going to be in Babylon forever? Or is this going to be something that's forever? Or is there going to be an end to this time? And I think the hardest way to wait is when there's no guaranteed end. And they did what all of us do when we experience trauma, which is they went inside. They isolated themselves. They became an us versus them society. They demanded purity from one another. The only way we're going to survive this, they said, is we are going to have to band together and we're going to have to be the best Israelites that we can possibly be in Babylon. And they do this. They raise up heroes like Daniel in the lion's den who stands up against all those lions, right? Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace or all of them who are being punished for being too Jewish, right? And these are their heroes. And what it tells the people of Israel is that the only way to survive this trauma is to be like Daniel and survive in the lion's den by being the purest person that you can be, the best God person that you can be. And then what it has taught us throughout generations of learning this story is that we can only serve God if we are pure enough to do it. 
that the only way we get to be a servant of God, the only way we get to be in part of that group, the only way that we are inside and protected from the darkness and the trauma is if we are good enough to make it through a fiery furnace. We've told our children for generations and generations upon generations of time that unless they can keep purity laws and not be tempted by the food that is offered to them, that they will not be good enough to be part of the group. And Isaiah this morning tells us that that is the exact opposite of how you survive a trauma. Yes, our instinct is to draw in together and to isolate and to become more pure, but that if you're a person of faith, then your response to trauma after you've dealt with your own emotional security is to reach out and be a light to the world. Because it turns out the longer that you live in darkness, the easier it is to stay in darkness for the rest of your life. It turns out that the more that you give in to the truth, that you believe that truth of purity, that truth, that belief that you were taught that you have to be good enough for God, the longer that you have to live in fear of the lion's den, then you are never going to make it out of that darkness. Jesus is identified as a suffering servant because, exactly because he chose light in the face of darkness. Every story we hear of Jesus in the Bible, every one of them is one where he's choosing to pick somebody who was living in darkness and to release them. Now, you can argue all you want to about whether it was physical release or psychological release, whether there are demons or not, or whether that was whatever that is. But the truth is that Jesus saw the broken person, the broken one, and went to that person and said, I offer you my light. Jesus doesn't want the perfect people. Jesus has no desire to bring in the priests who are pure. Jesus in no way collects anyone who is holier than thou or feels like they are good enough for God. Jesus walks around and finds the broken people and brings them in and says, I got some light for you, my friend. We take for granted these miracles because we've, we've heard them so many times. We take for granted the idea that Jesus drives out the demons, that Jesus heals our wounds, that Jesus gives sight to the blind. And we get too wrapped up in the argument about whether it's literal sight or figurative sight or theological sight or whatever. But the point is that the broken person is the person that Jesus uses to bless the world. And I'm telling you that if you are not offering your brokenness then God cannot use you. God's got enough people who are perfect or pretend to be perfect. God's got enough people who can live in the dying's den or pretend to. God's got enough people who are holy. God needs you. God needs the servant who is broken. God needs the servant who is willing to step out of the darkness because they've been into it and they know the depths of it. The people who are the best servants are the ones who are willing to be vulnerable and to admit that they are not perfect. And I don't mean you have to go around telling everybody how screwed up you are, like you don't need to wear it on a sign. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and it's not a competition about who's the most screwed up among us, right? I mean, we're not going to go afterwards and like make a list of all the ways that we're messed up or broken or whatever. But the point is, is that if you are not being an authentic version of yourself, that if you are not acknowledging that you have been through darkness, 
God cannot give you God's light because you're too full of your own stuff. It's God's light that people see through us, and the only way for God's light to come into us is for us to admit that we need it in the first place. The great theologian Leonard Cohen has a song where he talks about um, God gives you cracks. God makes cracks in you because that's where the light comes through. That it's the cracks that people see the light through. And so we have a choice when chaos comes, when darkness comes into our lives as it will. We have a choice to isolate ourselves, to go inward, to try to become more pure and more perfect, and to only be with the people that we are comfortable with. But that is the opposite of what God has called us to do, all of us, all the servants. And so when chaos is rampant, when we are weighed down by brokenness, when we are too scared of what is happening, even in the most dire of circumstances, we have the power to make a difference because we are willing to wait for God's light to fill us up. We know what God's dream for the world is. We know that God is asking for a new world where lions and lambs live together. We've heard that story, but it only happens when we are willing to suffer as Jesus did by being broken and acknowledging that and being comfortable waiting in our vulnerability for light to come. And then when it does, when God's light fills you up, when you have a story to tell, whether it's a story like Daniel in the lion's den or whether it's a simple story of a friend who came in the moment that you needed it, then it is our responsibility to be vulnerable enough to show the light to other people. Other people who may think we're weird or strange or crazy for what we believe. I have a really good friend, his name is Howard. Howard is a chemist, he's a PhD chemist. He um, worked for a chemical company designing those little plastic containers, you know, the ones that you hate that you can't open? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, yeah. I one time gave him a hard time about it and he, um, he apologized to me. <laughs> he said, we have to use the thick stuff because the thin stuff causes cancer. And I was like, all right, well, that's probably a good choice then. I'm sorry, I apologize, right? We text each other every year when TCU beats WVU because he went to TCU and he likes to rub it in my face, right? Howard, PhD chemist, was a 25-year atheist. He went to school, he lost his faith. He and his wife both were in there and one night Howard had a dream. PhD chemist, right? He had a dream. Jesus shows up to him in the dream and starts talking to him. He wakes up. He says to his wife, you know, I heard this story. You know, Jesus came to me in a dream. It was the craziest thing. I couldn't believe it. And his wife turned to him and said, no way. I had the same dream. No way. I had the same dream, right? Pfft, right? Howard tells me this story five years later because Howard has joined my youth group. Because he says, I don't know anything about faith, so I'm going to join the youth group and we're going to hang out with you. I'm going to be your adult advisor. But he was very much a youth advisor, right? He tells me this story, and my first thought, Elizabeth, who grew up in the faith, in church, Presbyterian, where we don't believe in those kinds of things, was like, what? So I talked to his wife, and his wife said, oh, yeah. Every time we tell this story, people think we're crazy but it's my story and my light. 
And I don't care what people think because Jesus gave it to me to share with the world. And every once in a while when my faith is a little low, it's Howard's light that keeps me going. Because he was vulnerable enough to share God's appearance and light in his life and the way that he was broken and God used that brokenness to fill him up so he could share it with the world. Howard, he was vulnerable enough to come to youth group and ask more questions than the kids did. And to use that brokenness to show them that it was okay to have questions. And not every adult has it together. Or any adult, really. It's those moments when we can be vulnerable about our experiences of God, our truth of God, our service to God, that we spread the light and bring truth to the world. And I invite you to share your story, whatever it is, even if people think you're crazy. It's the only way the world is going to turn. Amen.